Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Today we're going to continue in our series of looking at the life of Jesus. I called Know What I Like About Jesus. Know What I Love About Jesus. And uh, I want to um, look today at, um, at Coach Jesus, at who he was as a team leader. You know what I like about Jesus? It was the fact that he chose an unusual team. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you that you choose us. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. We sometimes don't even ask for it, but you choose us. And so I I thank you for your gracious love, which covers over our brokenness and restores us. And I pray that you would use us to spread that love to the world. Teach us to love other people in your name. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right. Um, I remember when I was very, very little, I was in uh, Little League Baseball one season. And uh, when I first stood up to bat, I'd swing at every ball that was pitched and had a great time uh, doing that until one time uh, a ball was thrown that did not go across the plate. It buried itself in my rib cage. And that's a shock if you've never had that experience before. And after that, every time I stood up to the plate as this little league player and the pitcher went to throw the ball, I would flinch because I knew how much it hurt when it hit you. And the baseball coach, paragon of leadership that he was, made fun of me when I did it. So after that, I didn't sign up for Little League anymore. That was my one season. Later on in eighth grade, I remember being uh, in PE, and we'd go out to play basketball together outdoors, and the PE teacher would pick two kids to be the team coaches. And when the team coaches would choose the team, there was a very specific strategy that you would use to choose the team. You would choose first your best friend, and then you would choose the tallest kid on down. And that's how everybody did it. Well, that's how everybody did it until one time, one guy figured out a whole new system, and he picked his best friend, and then he picked a girl that all of us had a crush on. And we were like, we were like, we were like you know, Neanderthals after the first homo sapien discovers fire. We we're like, ooh, 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 right? But other than that, this is how we did it. You picked your best friend, and then you picked the tallest kid on down. And so it was eighth grade, and uh, uh, some, of the, some of the boys had hit their growth spurts. Um, I am still waiting on mine. Uh, and uh, uh, so I remember these, these moments of sitting there and watching as, as one person after another was chosen until the crowd got thinner and thinner, until there were just a couple of us left. And after that, I got very uncomfortable waiting to be chosen. In high school, I was in a youth group, and uh, the youth pastor, the youth leader, was this uh, impressive guy. He was educated, he was funny, he was talented, and I remember thinking uh, he could have been in a lot of different jobs, doing a lot of different things, making more money than a youth pastor makes, and here he was in this tiny little southeast 
Texas town, which was little more than a stop on the 10. And I remember wondering at him spending his life caring for this youth group. Uh, I remember this moment where we all sat in a circle together, and he was teaching us how to encourage each other. And so what we do is we'd go around the circle, and each person would say what they liked about the other person and the other people in the circle. And so when it came his turn to do it as the youth pastor, his words had special weight for all of us. Uh, and I still remember, I mean, this was 30 years ago. I still remember him saying, uh, you know what I like about Jim? I like Jim just because. And that's probably the nicest thing I could say about anybody. Uh, it may not feel all that special. You may think it may not feel all that special to be chosen without merit. Uh, but it's the best thing in the world. And so then there came a Sunday in that church where the teenagers were leading the worship service that Sunday and I stood up in the pulpit under the stained glass windows to share everything I knew about life at the age of 17. It took about five minutes. And when I went down afterwards, I said to my youth pastor, that, that felt right. And he said, let's talk about what that means. And here I am. You know what I like about Jesus? He chooses the JV. There are a number of um, pieces of literature in the Bible that, that we call call narratives. They are stories of God calling someone and sending them out on a mission. And the Bible is filled with them. Abraham is called to move. Moses is called to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, the apostle Paul is called to stop killing Christians and start making Christians. David was called to be king. There are all these call narratives in the Bible, and I want to read you two of them today and talk about what it means for us as we seek to follow Coach Jesus. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, uh, this is Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Listen to the word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So this is the prophet Isaiah having a vision of God in the temple. Above him were seraphim, which is a kind of angelic being, seraphim, uh, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The word for unclean here in Hebrew is ta-meh. Ta-meh is most used in the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus teaches the people how to go and offer sacrifices to pay for their sins. If they are unclean, they have to go and clean themselves. They have to make atonement. They have to offer sacrifices so that they are freed from their sins. And Isaiah, standing in the presence of God, seeing this vision of God, has this reaction, I'm unclean, get away from me. I don't belong here. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Just as fire cauterizes a wound, so the angel with the coal 
cauterizes Isaiah's lips, takes his sin away so that he can speak the words of God, so that he can speak in the presence of God. This is his symbolic purification. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Now, obviously, this is a vision. This is a symbolic representation of Isaiah appearing in the presence of God and being touched with a coal. Not, not in real life, that would hurt, but symbolically being purified and prepared to go on the mission that God is calling him to. Now, there are two things to notice about this symbolic vision, about this image that Isaiah sees. First of all, his reaction in the presence of God, woe is me, I'm ruined, is the most logical reaction a person could have. Standing in the presence of a perfect God, we are absolutely exposed to our inner core. Standing in the presence of God is the spiritual equivalent of getting an x-ray. When you get an x-ray, there's nothing left to hide. It shows everything going on in there. Think about the x-rays you got the last time you went to the dentist's office. The patterns of adult dental flossing in the United States is a bell curve. It goes up the two weeks prior that you go to the dentist's office, and it goes down the two weeks after that. And that is how everyone flosses their teeth. But the, the two weeks of atonement flossing that you do before the dentist appointment is not enough to cover up what the x-rays are going to expose. If there are cavities in there, in there the x-rays will show them. Standing in the presence of God is the spiritual equivalent of an x-ray. There is nothing we can hide from him. And the logical response of anyone who knows themselves is to say, woe is me, I'm ruined. I am an unclean person. But the second thing to notice is that God chooses the unworthy and then makes them worthy. Isaiah didn't get his life together and then get chosen to go on a mission Isaiah got chosen to go on a mission, and then God made him ready to send him out. When God chooses us, he prepares us for that which he is sending us to. He allows us to then say, ooh, hey coach, send me. Isaiah is chosen first, and then he is made ready by God. Okay, flip over to Matthew chapter 9. Let's read another call narrative of one of the disciples of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 at verse 9. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have, come to I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. There are four things we need to pick up in this call narrative of Matthew. First of all, Matthew is Jewish. And so there's a certain pathway that is expected for young Jewish guys growing up in the first century world. Uh, a Jewish boy would grow up 
And at a young age, he would be taught to read and write using the Torah, using the Jewish law. Then he would be taught to memorize large blocks of the Torah in the hopes that he would memorize all of it. And then if he was really, really good as a scholar, if he was really, really top of his class, he would be prepared to be a rabbi. And then around the age of 30, a few of them were chosen to be rabbis. A few of them got selected to be the upper crust of first century Jewish society. Now secondly, Matthew is not a rabbi. He didn't make it. Somewhere along the way, he was passed up. There were other boys who were better than him, and he didn't get chosen. It happens, right? But that's okay. If a boy didn't get to be a rabbi, he could go and learn his father's business and carry on the, the father's business. Thirdly, Matthew is a tax collector. Tax collectors were despised in Jewish society because they were Jewish people who were plucked up by the Roman Empire to collect taxes from the Jewish people to give to Rome. They were literally hired to steal from their own people. Worse yet, the tax collector's salary came from the taxes they took away from their own people. They were despised in their world. So fourthly, we can infer that something in this story is missing. Matthew's dad. Matthew isn't practicing the, the trade of a Jewish man in the first century world. The Romans chose the tax collectors. You didn't inherit that job from your dad. Matthew doesn't have a dad. We don't know the story here. Um, you know, Jesus was a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter. Uh, John, uh, James, Peter, and Andrew were fishermen because their, their fathers were fishermen. There's no dad in this story. Matthew's alone. He wasn't chosen to be a rabbi. And he didn't have a dad to coach him. And so when the Romans plucked him up and said, you're going to take money for, for us, Matthew probably did it resentfully. Resentful of the culture that would not choose him. And resentful of the world that left him shorthanded. It's to someone like that that Jesus said, come follow me. Somewhere in the dusty, yellowed pages of history, there is an empty, abandoned tax collector's table where a resentful young man used to take money away from people. Now empty, because Coach Jesus said, come follow me. You know what I like about Jesus? He chooses people who don't deserve to be chosen. Have you ever felt like you did not deserve to be chosen? Have you ever felt like you would be the one who would be passed over if the coach was picking teams? This is the message of the gospel. Jesus chooses you. You didn't earn it and you don't have to. It comes without merit. 
He chooses you because he loves you, just because. All we have to do is say yes. If we'll say yes, he will cauterize our souls with the cross, the way Isaiah's mouth was cauterized with the coal. He will purify our souls through his death on the cross, on which he took away all of our sins and all of our brokenness. All we have to do is receive it and say yes. And then, when we do, he prepares us for the mission that he has for us. Not because we're qualified. Not because we have all the skills for it. But because he's chosen us for it. He's chosen you, and because he's chosen you, when he says, okay, who's next? You can say, oh, coach, pick me. He's made you ready to be chosen. I remember uh, working at a church many years ago, and there was a, a young woman in that church um, who uh, sort of told her story of uh, the influence she had had on a roommate. She, um, she had been uh, single in her younger years and was living with a roommate, and she went to church, and her roommate didn't. And she would have said that she was not a very good Christian. She would go to church and she would come home and felt like she needed to talk to her roommate about Jesus and live a better life and be a moral exemplar. But she would come home to her roommate and just say, I don't think I'm very good at this. I don't think I actually live a very good life. I don't feel like I know what to say to people. I feel like I'm supposed to be a good influence and I'm just kind of nothing. One day her roommate came to her and said, can I go to church with you today? Uh, and my friend, Tracy, was just kind of floored by this. She said, why? Well, it turned out the roommate had watched Tracy wrestle with this God that was out there, this God that she was afraid she wasn't answering up to. And in watching Tracy wrestle, the roommate figured out there was actually somebody on the other side of this wrestling match. And it made her roommate think, maybe there is a God out there, and maybe I'd better get my life right with that God. And so the roommate came to church with Tracy, and not long after that, the roommate became a Christian. Now, I've read all the books on church growth and evangelism that are out there, and that story is not in them, because that's not a story of success and effectiveness. That's a story of real life. And when I used to walk in the front doors that church, this was many years after Tracy had brought her roommate to church. I used to walk in the front doors, and there at the front desk, at the hospitality desk, was Tracy, eager to welcome people into the church, to show them around, to make them feel at home, to let them know they were loved. Because Tracy could remember a time in her life where she did not feel worthy to be chosen, and God used her to change someone else's eternity. You are never in a place where God cannot use you to change someone's eternity. You are never so unworthy of the call that your unworthiness would trump God's love for you. God's love is greater than our unworthiness is a mess. He chooses you when you don't deserve it. He prepares you when you are not prepared for it. And he sends you because he has called you. When the time came for that church to say, hey, we need somebody at the front desk to work hospitality and welcome new people in the church who might be nervous about going to church. 
Tracy knew not that she deserved it, but that she had been chosen by one who made her worthy. And when the church said, hey, we need somebody, she was confident to stick up her hand and go, oh, oh, hey, coach, pick me. You may be at a place in your life this morning where you need to say to God, hey, I don't feel worthy. And that's okay. Jesus is waiting for that. He's waiting to pull you away from your feelings of brokenness, from your tax collector's table, from your sense of inadequacy, and call you into the game. You haven't earned it, and you don't need to. He loves you anyway. He just wants you to say yes. And after you say yes, he's going to say, okay, now i got to send the team out. Who wants to go? And then you get to be one of the ones who says, hey, coach, pick me. You know what I like about Jesus? Jesus chooses the JV. Amen. Jesus, I thank you for your love that is uh, better than anything else we could seek after in this world. Uh, I thank you that nothing we have done or thought or been keeps us away from you. I thank you that in your presence, uh, you have the x-ray and can see into the deepest core of our being. Help us to live at peace with the fact that you made us good, that you redeem us by your cross, and that you send us because you love us and you love the world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.